You should always be thinking about networking and closing because you never know where that next big idea is going to come from. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm Matt Rouse, and today we are talking with Jeff Mendelson. He is the founder of Effectivo.Social. It's a full-service digital marketing agency where he works with developing comprehensive digital marketing campaigns, and he's also the host of the One Big Tip podcast. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. And you're coming to us from Florida, right? Right, from Fort Lauderdale. Right. And so we're kind of on opposite ends of the country here because I'm, I'm just outside of Portland, Oregon. Right. And we were talking a little before about kind of the differences in in how like the shutdown or not shut down, depending upon, you know, where you are in Florida. Right. I know we're probably going to launch this in about a week, week and a half so that people can get kind of an idea of where we at in the world right now. Uh, since things kind of change on a day to day basis, we're recording this April 23rd. So I'll just give people an idea where things are at right now. So anyways, let's get right into it. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Jeff Mendelson and I have a few different brands, but basically if I had to distill everything down, I am a digital marketer. So my company does everything related to marketing and established business on the internet. Starts out with developing the website and then adding the call to actions writing the content that both goes on the website, uh, your blog or your medium channel or whatever else that may be. We also create the social that is ancillary to your brand. And lastly, we also manage the paid advertising, whether it's search engine optimization or Google and Facebook ads as well in order to drive traffic to your site. Good. And so now you have a completely 100% remote workforce and you've been kind of traveling all over the world. I mean, before now and running your business. So do you have some tips for people since everyone has to remote work now? Basically, do you have some tips for people who have remote work or remote teams? Sure. So, yeah, I have a lot of tips. Really what it comes down to is, first of all, the discipline that you need in order to work unsupervised, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs and freelancers already have this, right? And really what it comes down to is, first of all, having a having a comfortable place to work from. So now we're all working from our homes. For me, my happy space was any local WeWork. We have six WeWorks now in the Miami area. None of them are in Fort Lauderdale, though. So, it, you know, it still necessitates a drive. But it was very comfortable to go there because all you would need to do is crack open your laptop and the Internet always works and you have all of the services that you need in order to be productive. And that is much different than working from your local coffee shop or even from a public library. And all of these places I frequented a lot, right? So a public library is great, but then they have these restrictions that you can't visit certain sites and, you know, those restrictions may be arbitrary, Right. So, you know, you can't do that. Or if you're in a Starbucks, you know, it can get kind of loud and not every Starbucks has a comfortable place to sit down. I know in my area, you know, some of the Starbucks only have chairs, right? Not really couches. The Starbucks that used to be by my, by the house where I used to live at, they had this really nice comfy sofa area, which was great until they remodeled and took them out. So it's like, great. Now I can't do that anymore. Right. 
So, yeah, I got a quick, quick, funny story for you, Jeff. There's a, they opened a brand new Starbucks down the road from my house about a year ago and it's very small. So they only have like they have kind of like some bar top kind of seating, but then they only have four tables with like a few chairs in it around each one. But there's a dude who goes in there, little literally brings an extra monitor. So he's got his laptop and then he also has like a big 24 inch monitor. He pulls out of a box and puts it on the table. Uh, that's me with my iPad. So I sidecar the iPad. Sidecar it. Yeah, but, you know, you can do that. You know, now we have the technology that enables you to do it. One of the cool things about WeWork, though, is they have an office in every city or at least in every city that that I would go and visit. Right. So when uh, last year we went on a trip, my girlfriend had a she had a convention to go to in London. Great. There were six WeWorks to choose from and just make the reservation pop in. And I didn't lose not one minute of productivity. Right. Here in the US, we have T Mobile, right, which offers very cheap roaming when you're outside of the country. Also in Canada and in Mexico, it's the same network. So you don't even you don't even pay for roaming if you go to those locations as well. So what happens is that, you know, when you frequent these places, it's really just a question of you know, making sure that your hotel is close to one of these offices. And once I got into that mindset, I just stopped telling people, okay, guys, I'm going to Europe for a week, you know, because there was literally no reason to tell them that. Why should my customers have the doubt that is Jeff going to be able to take care of my needs while he's gone? So I completely took that out of the equation. The only downside to that is, well, if you're in Europe and you know, your customers are in the U.S., you may need to take a phone call during dinner, right? Because if it's three o'clock in the afternoon in New York, it's 8 p.m. in London. So you should be able to handle that. But if you have good time management skills anyways already already set up, that shouldn't be too much of a burden. And I think everyone that's around you, you know, as you're visiting friends and family, know that, oh, OK, you know, yeah, his clients are still are still in the office. So he needs to attend to that. And that's never been an issue for me. If you work nationally anyway, I mean, you already sort of have to deal with the time zones. Like, I mean, I have clients on the East Coast. I'm outside of Portland. So it's, you know, three to four hours difference depending upon where they are. And no one, well, I shouldn't say no one, almost no one knows that my business partner and our administrator live in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. So because the time zone is only an hour different from where we are. And for some of our clients, it's no different. So they're an hour ahead of me. So they're about two hours behind you probably. And they can't tell the difference between when he's like here or he's in Arizona or he's in Costa Rica because he kind of flies back and forth. There's no difference. You know, in this day and age, that shouldn't be an issue, right? It shouldn't even be a consideration. I mean, the few customers that I allow on my on my personal Facebook feed or on my personal Instagram, you know, they see it. And those are usually the ones who would cheer me on anyways. Like, hey, yeah, that's great. You're taking all these great photos in these in these faraway places. And he's attending to my needs while he's gone. You know, I think a lot of people appreciate that. They, you know, they appreciate how you can, how you can multitask and delegate and still get things done. So, you know, there's a little bit of an art to that as well. When I go on, like if I'm going to go on vacation or something, go visit my parents or something like that. And I used to do, I went to Hawaii a couple of times and closer for us here. Right. But I just set aside a certain amount of time for work. Right. So I say, okay, well, 
between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every day, I'm going to do work. And between two and three in the afternoon, I'm going to do work, even though I'm on vacation. I know some people like to be 100 percent on vacation. I am not one of those people. Yeah, good luck with that. I really like setting some time to do some work and it makes me feel like, you know, okay, everything's taken care of. I don't need to worry about it. But you know what the corollary to that is? You're able to make the time in order to do things from some really interesting places. For example, last summer, I took my teenage daughters to Hong Kong and Japan. So that's a full on 12 hour difference. Right. And what happened was it was really interesting. We're walking around the streets of central Hong Kong and I get this email on my phone. Jeff, I need you to sign a contract. Right. It's something I needed to sign. I need to actually print it out. They for some reason they didn't use, you know, DocuSign or whatever. So I don't have a fax machine. <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so sure enough, I go to my local WeWork and it was great. First of all, there was air conditioning because it was just steaming hot outside. My kids were just done with walking around, you know, exploring, you know, this great, amazing city. So they had full on internet. They just sat and Netflixed for three hours while I took 10 minutes to sign this document and fax it off. And then I just hung out there and just spoke with other entrepreneurs and, you know, just connected with other people in this amazing setting. To me, it just enriched the entire experience that much more. So similar we have a nonprofit co-working space by my house that is kind of sponsored between the city and the and the Chamber of Commerce here. So we have 24 access, 24 hour access there. And, you know, so I had something I had to get done. I had to fax it. Of course, I don't have a fax machine because it's 2020. That's why I don't have a fax machine. Right. But yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like I needed a fax machine. So I just went there and I was able to fax something. I didn't have to go and like stand in line at the UPS store and have them figure out how to use the machine every time they got to use it and whatever. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I just went there, got it done. I love coring spaces. And there's also I mean, there's it doesn't have to necessarily specifically be we work. I mean, there's like places like Regis and, and ones that have places all over the world, too. And there's lots of local co-working spaces that you work from if you don't need to travel. But I love co-working spaces. I think they're great. The only reason I think at this point that I would get an office is if I need to regularly kind of either record or host things where I need a physical space or a set, you know, or something like that. I don't think I would use it for actual as an office. You know, what's interesting is that so I'm actually a member of three types of co-working spaces. I have one local one in downtown Miami, which I'm grandfathered into this amazing deal. So and all my mail goes there. So I don't even bother anymore. It's like, OK, yeah, I'll pay the $50. It's all good. But between WeWork and then Spaces. So Spaces is like the WeWork competitor. Right. And now with all the drama that's going on with WeWork in particular, you know, they lost their funding. Who knows that they're going to be closing down offices. I just read something yesterday that they're not paying their own rent on, in some countries. But what I found was between those two, I have coverage just about everywhere. I have a spaces literally across the street from my house. You know, WeWorks are in all the major cities. And it's really nice to have options because before my memberships to WeWork in Spaces, I used to have to spend a couple hours researching, okay, I'm going to Berlin, for example, try to find, you know, freelancer friendly coffee shops or 
co-working spaces in Berlin. I mean, yeah, there are blogs that, that do it. I, I think the last time I did that majorly was when I went to Medellin, Colombia. So I speak Spanish fluently and it was still a challenge, right? And like the first one you go into, it's like, you know, I have to get work done, but it was just kind of dank. It was just kind of, you know, I didn't want to be there, but the internet was okay and I needed to get some work done. So I just put on my headphones, and just work from there. It wasn't ideal, but I did it. And then you got to spend another hour Research, okay, where am I going to work tomorrow? And the next one I worked in was just a sterile office building. And I also hate these sterile office environment. You know, these cube farms with battleship gray dividers and things like that. So I ended up working from there, right? And it's like, okay, like, no, I'm done with that. The thing about the brands is that you know exactly what you're going to get as you walk in. The spaces that I went into in Sao Paulo looks exactly the same as the spaces in Fort Lauderdale. It just makes things so much easier. You open up your laptop and you're instantly working. Yeah, the spaces and the WeWork in Portland are both pretty nice and they're pretty new. So, you know, they're they're modern, up to date. And I haven't seen them do any changes to like I was just at the WeWork one a couple of months ago here and nothing seems to have changed with them. I don't know if that's I still think that's after they lost some of their funding. But I mean, I don't I don't really understand what happened with WeWork. I don't follow it. You know, so so I don't really know what's going on there. But I think that if you're paying for something monthly, you don't really have that much of a problem because if they shut down, you just don't pay them next month. <laughs> like It's not going to be a huge problem. Yeah, the lack of contract really helps. So let me ask you some more questions. Sure. One thing I really want to talk to you about is that like not just working from home yourself, but or, or working remotely yourself, but you have a remote workforce, too. So how do you stay in communication with your team? So what I tell people both clients and contractors, is that I don't care if you're across the street or halfway around the world, you are remote to me, right? Which means we're not going to have the luxury of having coffee. We're not going to sit down and have an in-person meeting. It's just not going to happen. So first of all, it's finding the type of people that are okay in that, in that kind of environment. Not everyone is, surprisingly. So the biggest tool that I rely on is teamwork. So teamwork is a competitor to Basecamp and Asana. It fits my workflow very well in that um, it handles the time tracking. It's easy for me to set up task lists and tasks. I can email tasks into it and then it automatically gets set up and then assigned like once you understand the, uh, you know, setting up that system for it, it integrates into other systems, you know, like with Zapier and, you know, can post a notification on your Slack, which is another tool that we use. But for the most part, a couple of things. The task needs to be clearly defined. You know how people Absolutely. send this email of, uh, hey, Jeff, I want you to do seven things. Right. And then you send back the email. OK, one and two are done. Three, I don't understand. Four is going to wait. You know, it becomes spaghetti soup very, very quickly. If you immediately take that information and make it into seven tasks the way it's supposed to, each one with the definitive title, a really good description that a three year old can follow. And then you dog that task until it's done. It is such a better way to work. My clients appreciate it. My my team appreciates it. We have a whole standard operating procedure that talks about it. And it makes onboarding new people easier. It's like, okay, first of all, you know, this is how we define tasks. This is how you use my system. Please communicate with me if it doesn't need to be immediate through teamwork. Absolutely. And my business partner, Scott, and I also, we come from information systems and information technology backgrounds where we always use trouble ticketing systems. 
And a ticketing system is where like, you know, you so you have a description of whatever the problem is and a subject kind of like an email. And then there's a ticket number assigned to it. And then every single possible thing that gets done gets tracked in that same ticket. So you have this like list of everything that's been done. And if you can carry over that same idea to your project management, then just like you said, get it in there with enough information that if you got hit by a bus today and somebody else had to try and solve that problem or get that task completed, they would be able to read it and understand it and have all the information available. That, yeah, that's exactly correct. And it's like, the cool thing is that when teamwork sends you a notification, you get that notification email. You don't need to then log back into teamwork in order to answer it. You could just reply to that email. The reply gets put back into the task as a comment and then everyone can see it. You don't need to remember, okay, do I need to CC this person, not CC this person? It's already done for you. Another thing with those tools is that if you have a large team or you have different departments, you can usually assign, depending on the tool, but you can usually assign a department or specific people to those tasks or projects so that they only see the stuff they need to worry about and they don't get cluttered up with everybody else's tasks and problems. And You know, you can you can tag your tasks, you can color code them. You can put different kinds of priorities on them. You know, there are so many features of teamwork that I don't even use because it's so not necessary, at least in my book. But yeah, all of it is there. The whole reason why I moved over to teamwork in the first place is because I was on the first version of Basecamp and I really was a fan of Basecamp. I love the way the whole thing was structured. When they moved over to their 2.0 version, they took out the one feature that I used the most, which was time tracking. Right. Because that's how I pay my people. I want to know if somebody worked three hours for me, I want to pay them for the three hours. But then if I'm assigning them tasks and they can't log their time. Uh, sorry, guys, I got to go. Yeah. Then you need another tool. <laughs> yeah. Teamwork was right there to pick up the slack. They even imported everything for me. Yeah. We use Zoho One. and We've gone through a ton of project management tools. So we had used Zoho several years ago and we decided, you know, we wanted kind of some more views and stuff kind of to be able to over some oversight that wasn't available in Zoho one. And so we switched all these tools. We tried Asana, we tried whatever it's called Monday or Tuesday or something. Now I can't remember what the other tool is called. They keep switching the name. So I don't remember what it's called. And then there's um, should I, I can't even remember them all. We tried tons and tons of tools and like Bitrix tried uh, Jira and like Confluence through Atlassian and geez, that's technical. Yeah. So we've done all kinds of tools. We came back to Zoho One because they had added back the features that it was something that we were looking for anyway. But because we have it all in one tool, then we have Click instead of Slack. That's the Zoho version of Slack, basically. So it's internal to us. Messaging's internal. The CRM, the project management tool and the trouble ticketing are all integrated with our billing system. So we know what we build and stuff. And the one thing that we do separately is our payroll. So we use Gusto for our payroll. I don't know if you heard of that one, but yeah, yeah. Gusto also amazing thing about Gusto. Kudos to them is that well, two things. Number one is we found a bug in their system once and they fixed it in 12 hours, which wow. hardly happens anywhere. And the second thing is they had the PPP loan reports. So you could just instead of going and figuring out all your payroll and blah, 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 blah. You just hit the button. It generated a report and you sent that report with your PPP loan documents wow. so okay. did your payroll documentation for you i'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to get that but anyway let's move on a little bit so besides those project management tools and productivity tools do you have any other tools you use for working remotely that man we haven't talked about yet so yeah so first of all you need a strong laptop 
you need a late model laptop. Don't fly to Europe with your 2016 ThinkPad, right? It's just not going to work. You, you know, you want to make sure that you have the speed and you have the efficiency and that it's, you know, everything is up to date. All of that should be done before you leave. Another thing that's real important is having a dual SIM phone, especially when you travel outside of the country. So the iPhones now are really interesting is that, is that they have the eSIM, which is the embedded SIM as the second SIM card and the physical SIM card. So a lot of Android phones, you can't really buy these in the US. You can buy them from Amazon. Like you can buy an international version of the Samsung Note, whatever. That's a dual SIM phone. What's really interesting about dual SIM phones is that when you land in another country, it's very easy. I haven't found one that it's hard to do yet. I think maybe Cuba. Well, Cuba is only there for three days. But everywhere else, I was able to very quickly buy a prepaid card for anywhere between $20 to $40. And then I'm connected locally on their local internet system. And it made things a lot faster for me. One of the interesting things, though, that a lot of people don't think about, especially on the dual SIM phones that have the eSIM, is that the way eSIM was marketed was that when you travel, you could just turn on eSIM in another country. I found that to be not the case. I flew to Spain last year. I went in, you know, you land in Seoul, which in Seoul, which is like the center of the city, right? And you had all the cell phone uh, companies right there in that immediate area. I blew two hours of my vacation going into each one of these stores trying to get an eSIM. And they're all telling me, look, buddy, you're not going to get it. What you really should do is do the reverse. You get the eSIM on your local number, right? So you don't have a SIM card in for your T-Mobile or your AT&T or whatever else it is that you use. And then when you go to the other country, you get the prepaid card. So you put the physical SIM in there. Worked for me in Brazil, worked for me in Europe. Everywhere you go, when you do the reverse, this way you can keep both lines open and you're able to communicate and get your fast internet and get your navigation done, check your emails. It's all good. Right. And so for people who may not be as phone fluent, a SIM card is just like it's a little tiny plastic thing with a microchip on it that slides into the side of your phone, usually or the bottom. Some of them you have to pop the case off, but most of them just have a little slot you put it in. And that tells the phone which cell phone tower and which carrier you're supposed to use. Exactly. And once you have two SIM cards operating in your phone, both can be operating at the same time. Uh, you can use one for phone calls and one for data. Like the functionality is all there. It really is a godsend. It just makes things so much easier because the alternative is when you land in, when you land in a new country, you have to take out your SIM card because you don't want to get raped on the roaming charges and you put in the local one, but that's fine. Now you're connected via the internet, but now you're not going to get not one text message and not one phone call. And you're not going to know about what's going on. And so then you find yourself just swapping switch SIM cards every couple hours. And that's no fun either. So just don't do it. <laughs> so talking about phones, what's your favorite phone? Right now I'm on my iPhone 11. I started out with an iPhone and then I switched over to Androids. And I really do love Androids. But, you know, being on a Mac and then having an iPad, having an, having an iPhone just made a lot more sense. Not to fanboy too much, but... It really does work really well together. Whereas on Android, you, you have to go through these hoops of download this specific app to get your messages on your computer. And then you got to download this thing. You have to like know how everything else works. And in the Apple environment, it just works. And it's just less things to think about as you're going along. I'm definitely one of those odd people who uses all Windows and Chromebooks. <laughs> and then I have an iPhone. 
And so it's a pain in the ass to move stuff off my iPhone. But there's apps that I use that, especially on the social media side of things, I have like a, a bunch of apps I use for social media posting stuff that just make it so much faster. And some of them just aren't available on Android. I'm sure there's probably an alternative by now, but you know, I know how to use the ones I know how to use. The cost of switching can be a little high, you know, that the time cost of learning, finding it, learning it. I think that if you're going to go in, you have to go all in. It's a type of knowledge that you really shouldn't have to dedicate brain energy to, right? It's like, why, why obsess over which version of iPhone I have or which version of Android or whether I have, you know, ice cream sandwich or, you know, whatever names I came up with that. I used to stress over that. And then I just realized I was spending hours a month just trying to manage all that. And it now just blissfully dissipates away from the energy that I need in order to work on other things. So I think a modern phone, it doesn't really matter which platform it is. Once you have it kind of all set up, then you can kind of migrate from phone to new phone to new phone to new phone without any problem. As long as you stay on the same platform, if you switch back and forth, you're screwed. Right. So Samsung's are good with that. But as soon as you go to LG, eh, now you're screwed. I mean, if you use like the Google backup for most of that stuff, it's probably all right for the most part. But, you know, like I said, it's it's switching platform. That's that's the biggest problem. The cost of switching is just it's definitely something that you want to build into your marketing. (laughs) Well, you could blow a whole evening just migrating stuff over. Right. And what else could you have been doing? You know, and also, you know what? I 100 percent am a huge fan of paying somebody else to do those things. I got to get my IT person to do it a hundred percent. I can set up an entire data center. I have the technical skill and knowledge to do it. I don't want to do it. Right. It's not a valuable use of my time. Well, you have to worry about bringing in revenue to your business. Right. I mean, I could be interviewing someone like you, right. Instead of digging around with my cell phone. So, you know what? Great talking with you, but I do have one more question. And it, is there anything that I haven't asked you yet that you think could help our listeners? Sure. I think this is more of a mindset rather than anything, but you should always be thinking about networking and closing because you never know where that next big idea is going to come from. You know, someone may chat you up and introduce you. Like I have a really good story. I was in a, um, this was before we had the WeWork, right? I ended up having to work from some restaurant in Tel Aviv and they had this big table in the back of the restaurant that was just full of freelancers, right? And what happened was, one guy saw me plugging in my laptop into the electrical outlet, right? So first of all, most places outside of the U.S. do not have enough electrical outlets. So I bring a uh, so I bring a small power strip with me as well. So anyone else wants to plug in? Yeah, go for it. You know, here you go. Um, so he saw me plug in and right away he sees that I have the American style plug. And so he speaks to me in English. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, you're American, too. I'm like, OK, yeah, you know, we start talking, whatever. And, you know, just exchange our pleasantries and moved on. Then about 10 minutes later, someone calls me up and it happened to be a Spanish conversation. So I switched to Spanish as well. Right. So and this guy is still, you know, he's sitting across the table from me. He's like listening in. He doesn't do anything. And I also speak Hebrew as well. So family member calls me up and I switched to Hebrew. And when I got off of that call, he's like, that's it. He's like, I can't take it. How the hell do you know all this? I'm like, well, you know, I went through a little bit of my of my work history and he was just like, oh, my God, we have to connect. We connected on LinkedIn and uh, we exchanged ideas and contact info. And it became a really rich relationship for a number of years. You know, it's like it's making a friend. It's making a, it's making a good business contact. It's somebody that I can now tap into the startup community over there if I need to. 
in order to make that connection. And that never would have happened if I didn't sit in that particular restaurant and have my Frankenstein plug system in order to get everything to work. You just need to be ready for it. Yeah. And and you know what? Honestly, I don't have data from the last month or two yet during the COVID time, but you know, 30 to 35% of my company's business comes from networking. So you got to be out there networking and meeting people. Jeff, thank you for being on the show. Jeff Mendelson, founder of Effectivo.Social and the host of the One Big Tip podcast. So make sure that you go and, and take a listen there. And Jeff, again, thanks for being on. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we talk with Mark Whitney about how to go from door-to-door sales to suing the government to running for president and much more. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you. 